Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. Thank you all for joining me in my home for Gospel Saving Church. And thank you all for joining me online, coming from all over the world. God bless you. And thank you for joining us here. Another wonderful Sunday, Gospel Saving Church. Um, Praise God. I'm thankful to be up here. And the Lord's given me another good word this week from out of His Word. And mostly I'll just be reading that today. And as I always do, just word for word, verse per verse, uh, you know, chapter by chapter, book by book. Uh, anyway, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I would appreciate it. And uh, let's ask the Lord to bless this time and ask Him to prepare our hearts for the Word and for what He has to say to us today. So, Lord, we just thank You. Thank You again, Lord, for another Sunday. Thank You again for another day. Lord, another day that we can glorify You or not glorify You, Lord. Another day that we can live for You or not live for You. Another day that we can seek Your face or not seek Your face, Lord. It's, it's up to us. It's another day, though, Lord, and you give another day and, and, and more grace today and, and still more than the next day until you end the days. So, Lord, I'm just thankful that you've given us a new day for all the people that are still alive on the planet, Lord, that they can either come to seek you, Lord, or, Lord, I, I pray that those that reject you would come to seek you today. Lord, I just pray that you prepare our hearts today. Help us to understand, Lord, your word. Help us to clearly understand what you want us to do, Lord, after our sermon today or during our sermon today, Lord. Please, may we, may we have no excuse, Lord, as we live our lives, Lord, as we hear these words every single Sunday, every single time we listen to your Bible or your word. And clearly speak to us, Lord, and help us, Lord, to not only hear these things that you tell us, but to obey them too. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd keep the devil and the distractions out of this house and out of the minds of the listeners all over the world and out of their homes as they listen to this message too, Lord, because the devil is a great spiritual battle going on all around us all the time. It's you versus the enemy all the time. And Lord, I just pray that you would win in their lives, Lord, those that are opening this message up and listening to this word. Thank you, Lord, and praise you, Lord, and we bless you, Lord. And I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Anyway, we're going to be, as we continue on through the first book of Timothy, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. If you guys want to be turning there, if you're already there, while I go through my thoughts from last week's message again, that's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. Uh, you could be getting there as I'm going through my thoughts from last week's message, The Great Apostasy. So last week I had said that an apostate church's false teachings of who Jesus Christ is and their false biblical teachings would not lead people to salvation. Because, remember, only the true teachings of the Bible and the true study and the true knowledge of who Jesus Christ really is can really bring somebody to, you know, salvation can bring somebody to the truth. I also said that what we've been seeing and what we're still seeing now is a great apostasy. We're seeing, you know, a lot of churches turning away from, you know, the biblical word and, you know, the biblical Jesus. And that's what we're seeing. And that's why the title, you know, of the sermon was the great apostasy. But I, you know, I said a lot of things, especially about the great apostasy. How do we know what I said is right? What if I'm wrong? So, by the Lord's direction last week, earlier this week on Monday, when I first started my sermon preparation, the Lord led me to search out what we call demographics and statistics of people in all Christian denominations all over the world. This is not something I made up. I went out there and I searched this from other people 
that have been interested in the same kind of things, and they came up with these results, not me. So I want you to listen to these numbers and this interesting info that I learned, and I want you to be the judge of who's right. I want you to be the judge on if we're really in a great apostasy or not. The conclusion that I made from the conclusion that anybody could make from the statements that I made earlier are these. If the Christian church as a whole is truly in a great apostasy, then few people in them would really be saved and born again because they teach false teachings about Jesus Christ in the Bible. So let's look at the statistics and let's see what the statistics support. Do the statistics support great apostasy or do the the statistics show that, you know, I'm wrong? So according to recent demographic studies and statistics, there are believed to be about 2.265 billion Christians in the whole world. And according to this census, that would mean that one out of every three people in the world is a Christian. Because there's about 7.3 billion people in the world. Side note, just as a prelude to what, because I already know the end of the results, but I'm, I'm giving them to you. Do it, does it look like we live in a world where one out of every three people is a Christian, a follower of the biblical Jesus Christ? Hello? Anybody living in the same world that I am? Because it sure doesn't look like that to me. I don't really see a world where one out of three people are really following the biblical Jesus. That should be a heads up, but that sure is a lot of people that claim to be Christians, right? And of course, this out of these demographics and these statistics, when they do these polls and when they go to these churches, you know, denominations are really proud of their congregations and the size of their congregations, so that's how they get this number. In this number, of course, they count anybody who professes the name of Jesus to be a Christian. Doesn't matter what denomination they belong to, doesn't matter what set of teachings of the Bible they listen to, apostate or not, they just, they, you know, have this, they, that's what they do, that's what they poll, anybody that claims the name of Jesus, from, you know, whoever to whoever. But here, here's, here's some, some deeper statistics for us. But as we get a little deeper in these results, of the 2.265 billion Christians of all that claim Jesus, only 26% of all these people claim to be born again. That's a, about little, just a shade over one quarter of all the people that profess the name of Jesus will tell you, well, yes, I'm born again. So one quarter out of 2.265 billion will only tell you that they're born again. Doesn't that just scream great apostasy? I mean, the Bible says being born again is being truly saved. Bible says that if you're saved, God kind of shows you, hey, you're born again. You got a new life and he assures you of it. And Jesus said, John 3, 3, unless one is born again, he shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So basically, if you're not born again, Bible says that you're not saved. So out of this one of every three people in the world that professes to know Jesus, or professes Christianity, even only, only 26% of them claim that they're born again. That's pretty shocking. So yes, right there we see that the conclusion that the church is in a great apostasy is an actual fact. But... 
Unfortunately, it's not even that good a news. Because I say that this 26% of the total 2.265 billion people that profess Christ is nowhere near the actual true number of the saved people because I've had completely heathen and Mormon people, and you you name it, come up to me, and I've talked to them, and I've said, you know, hey, uh, you know, are you born again? And they say, so, yeah, absolutely, I'm born again. Well, when I ask them, well, what does being born again mean? They tell me, oh, well, I've, I've been baptized. Well, that's wrong, because the Bible doesn't say that being born again is to be baptized by water. Being born again is to be baptized. God sends his Holy Spirit inside your carcass, and you become a new person. And you get baptized by God's Holy Spirit, which is a supernatural thing, not to be baptized in water. So, saying that, if you did some figuring here, take an even deeper look at the false and apostate teachings of the so-called Christian denominations of in the 2.265 billion total people, you find this. Sadly, between Catholics, Orthodox, Mormons, and Jehovah Witness faiths, those faiths, those just those four simple words, make up 63% of the 2.265 billion professing Christians on the planet. Now, there may be only a few hundred or a few thousand of them that are really even saved because their religions don't even teach biblical born-againness. Their religions don't even teach biblical salvation. Their religions teach salvation by works. Their religions teach completely completely crazy biblical things, but they do not teach biblical salvation or born-againness to their congregations at all. Then adding in all the apostate teachings of the remaining only 37% of those faiths, not of the Catholics, Orthodox, Mormons, or Jehovah Witnesses, you can easily come to a more real figure like only 10 to 15% of all of the 2.265 billion people that claim to be Christians are actually really born again, really saved, and really on their way to heaven, really worshiping the Jesus Christ of the Bible. That's sad and scary all at the same time because when you do the math, listen to this math, of what 10 to 15% of 2.265 billion people means, that means that there's only 226 to 340 million people on the planet Earth right now that are really saved and on their way to heaven if they were to die right now. So what does that look like world population-wise? And now we're getting to more figures like what I see our population like today, what I see our the way our world looks today, the way I look at the world in sin and the way I look at the world and everything. We don't see one out of three Christians in the world today, one out of every three people as Christians. What do we see? We see this. What is 10 or 15% of 2.265 billion look like? What does 226 to 340 million people look like in a span of 7.3 billion? It only comes out to about 4.65% of the whole population of the world today, which really means that there's only four and a half people out of a hundred that are really walking with the Lord and really serve and worship the real biblical Jesus Christ, the creator of all the world. Four and a half out of a hundred? Yeah, I see that. I see that. 
I see when I talk to people that even tell me about Jesus, I see their lives and I see their hearts and, and I try to talk to them about biblical things and they ain't got a clue. Yeah, I see that. I see the sin in the world. I see the war in the world. I see the evil in the world. And I see four out of every hundred, absolutely. That's more of a real realistic figure of how many people are actually really saved on the planet Earth than one out of three. So, when you look and you take the real people's truths from their real mouths, not not something I'm saying, oh, I just look at this, or oh, I look at this, I just looked at the teachings, and then God said, hey, you see the teachings now, go after now how many, look at the people, look at what the people are saying about themselves. And when you really get the people's right from their very own mouths, and even only 26% out of 2.265 billion will tell you they're born again, that's great apostasy, ladies and gentlemen. The church, the Christian church, is in truly in a great apostasy. People's confessions of their own, of their own say of their own selves of their own uh, spiritual lives those people are really what you can gauge whether the church is in a great apostasy or not and that's what we truly and see so ladies and gentlemen listen to me out there I beg you one thing today please start reading your Bibles and earnestly seeking God and Jesus Christ to see if you are really on God's path. We just learned today, I just taught you today, that 95% or so of the professing Christians all over the world live in deception. And if they continue in that deception, they will not go to heaven. They will die when they were, if they will go to hell after they die. Because they didn't ever care to know who the real biblical Jesus was and they didn't ever care to be born again for, according to the Bible. So my question to you is, and all those listening all over the world, listening to me, how do you know that you are one of the very few, less than five people out of a hundred that's really saved in this world? Well, please, Bible says Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord God while he may be found. So I beg of you today, seek the Lord God while he may be found, while you are alive. While you have a chance, because after you die, it's too late. How do you know? 95% or so are deceived. 95% or so of those that think they're Christians are deceived. How do you know that you're one of those that's truly on God's path? Seek God today. Seek God today. Please, seek God today. All right, praise God. Let's get on to our new sermon for this week. Our title of our new sermon is, One Must Endure to the End to Be Saved. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 6-11. through 11. Again, the title, One Must Endure to the End to Be Saved. 1 Timothy 4, 6-11. through 11. If you want to join me, I'm going to read it. Paul says to Timothy, chapter 6, he says this, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Verse 7, But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things 
having promise of the life that it now is and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Now, after last week's sermon, and after my overview from this week, I really, 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 really wanted to get up here and I wanted to apologize to you for giving you such terrible, terrible news of the great apostasy that we're in. I really did. I thought, man, I, I've got to like tell, oh my gosh, Lord, I've, I've got to tell the people, I'm so sorry that I, you know, I have to give you such bad news. But then I read verse 6 for today. This is a true story. And God told me flat out, you better not apologize. Did you catch why God might have told me I better not apologize? Paul tells Timothy, verse 6, he says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, meaning the things that Paul just said, meaning the things that I just taught you about, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourishing the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So, on my end, because I told you all that truth of the great apostasy that God just told me I was being a good minister to you for Jesus Christ. And yes, I do carefully follow the good and correct doctrine of the Bible and being nourished in the faith and good doctrine, as Paul just said there. So I don't have to apologize to you for what I said, but I will, I will say this, and please, I'm not trying to be prideful. I just want you to think about this. I think that you need to thank me for being a good minister to you and telling you these hard truths. And I think that you guys need to thank God that I actually had the guts to tell you the hard truths that I just did. It is not easy at all to stand up here and tell you guys all these bad statistics and all these negative things that I just told you. Many people want to avoid telling you things like this like I just did. And they just want to tell you the pretty things and the pleasant things and the things that make you feel good, you know. Oh, they just want to tell you all about God's love. And they don't want to tell you about the dangers or they don't want to talk about the bad stuff or they don't want to go through the whole counsel of the Word of God. Well, Paul talks about these people in Romans 16, 17 through 18. He says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, the teachings which you learn, the Christian value teachings that you've learned. And he says, and avoid them. Wow. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. See, it's hard for me to get up here and tell you all these things because it's not serving to me. It actually makes me feel kind of squirmish. Oh, man, i got to get up and give all these hard statistics, all these bad numbers. He says here, And by smooth words and by flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. So, I don't do that. I teach you the Bible. I teach you the reality of the world. I teach you the dangers of the Christian faith. I don't tickle your ears. I don't, uh, sometimes, excuse me, sometimes the things I say may make you feel good, 
But as a whole in the Bible, there's a lot of things that make me think that we got to challenge ourselves on, that make us grow. And, you know, growth is not easy, so they're not easy things. They're hard things that I teach you guys a lot of times. And so Paul says, beware of those that you hear that only want to tell you the smooth and easy, pleasing things of God and such. God said through Paul there that they're dangerous and that they need to be avoided. So just FYI, you know, be warned. So Paul tells Timothy, moving on here, Paul tells Timothy, you are a good minister if, notice he said if there, you are a good minister if you teach the hard truths of the great apostasy, being nourished in the words of faith and of the good teaching of truth and that he carefully followed. And, you know, if you think about it, if there's good doctrine and good teaching that Paul just said there, out of the Bible, then there's also bad, right? And there's apostate doctrine, just like the things that I just told you about. But that leads me to the next thing Paul tells Timothy. Look at verse 7, and he says this. Timothy, verse 7, Timothy, but reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourselves toward godliness. He says, Timothy, reject profane. What does profane mean? Reject unholy. So this is not holy things. Reject unholy wise fables. You know, for these it would be invented or fictional fake stories. Reject those things. Hey, reject those things. Hey, I just told you that the whole that there's going to be a great apostasy. Reject all the false lies that are out there, right? And he says, and exercise yourself toward godliness, or you could say the way that God wants you to live. Exercise yourselves toward that. So he says, and very simply, reject the things that you hear that are false and that don't line up with the truth. Simple as, I couldn't say it any simpler. I want to ask you now, though, do you see the importance there of knowing the correct Jesus Christ and the good doctrines and teachings of the Bible and what Paul just said to Timothy? Paul says, reject the unholy lies of the invented stories of the world. Well, first... How can you reject the lies of the world if you don't know the true biblical truths of Christ and God's word? Well, you can't. You can't reject the lie if you don't know the truth. If you only know the lie, the lie is the truth to you. So the Bible is truth. You have to know the correct things about God and Christ before you can reject the false things. Second, how in the world can you exercise yourself and your life towards doing the things that God says to do if you're taught false teachings from an apostate church. You can't. They're going to teach you false things. They're not going to teach you how God says, really follow me. They're just going to teach you false teachings as we went over last week. And so think about this. You can only know how to live a life pleasing to God if you know the real Jesus Christ. And if you're taught the real teachings and the real truths of the Bible and its doctrines. So, the true and good teachings of the Bible and who Jesus Christ are, are the only way you can get to heaven. And they're the only way that you can live a life pleasing to God. Paul goes on to tell Timothy just how important it is for a Christian to exercise themselves toward godliness and the true and good doctrine and teachings of the Bible. Look at verse 8. He goes on to say, For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things. In every area of your life, God, you know, this practice of godliness is, is, is good for all things in your life. And he says, and it has a promise. 
having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. So now, did Paul just talk bad about about exercise? Did Paul say that people should be lazy, sit around, eat lots of food, get fat, you know, because physical exercise doesn't matter at all? No, that's not what he said. Physical exercise is a good thing for people to practice. And we know that it's true because God wants people to be responsible with the earthly body that he's given us. Of course, we're, we're held accountable for the things that God gives us. It's a biblical principle. And we know the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. And exercise and good diet are the only way that we can keep ourselves healthy in the flesh, right? So Paul didn't speak bad or negative about physical exercise, but he does say this. He says here that in comparison, physical exercise in relation to exercising yourself towards godliness is nothing. Really, it's so little, you know, it hardly matters. And exercising oneself toward godliness, so practicing the things that God wants you to do, the life that God has called you to, is everything. Short and simple, Physical exercise only benefits a Christian while on earth, right? After we die, the physical exercise that we did, it doesn't, we can't take it with us. We can't take our fit and healthy and trim bodies to heaven. We know we're supposed to take care of them, but you know, if we spend our whole lives doing all this great physical exercise, we can't take it with us. That body stays here on earth. And think about it, that, that physical exercise that we do, that doesn't help us get to heaven either, does it? No way. And that physical exercise is just a physical exercise of making your body healthier and keeping your body fit. But he says, if a Christian practices the spiritual life God has called them to, they will inherit eternal life forever. And I don't know about any of you, but I know for me, I know which exercise I really want to exercise myself toward. I know I want the life that God has prepared for me in heaven way more than I want this earth. So we just need to make sure that we're keeping our proportion. And yeah, it's good to be healthy. It's good to exercise. It's good to stay fit. But it's, we can't ever forget that that just only profits us, while we're, profits us while we're here and just a little, right, in the span of eternity. But practicing ourselves, practicing and exercising ourselves toward godliness, that's really where we need to spend our time focusing on this life for the next. So... What is this great spiritual truth or life that God has called Christians to exercise themselves toward? Look at verse 9. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. So, therefore, we know that this thing, you know, this practicing, this, this you know, spiritual exercise is a faithful saying. It's a good thing. And it's a faithful saying, but he tells us what it is in verse 10. He says this, For to this end... We both labor and suffer reproach. So we work hard. We work really hard at exercising ourselves toward this godliness. And we even suffer reproach. We even were even made fun of for doing this practice of this great spiritual exercise. And he says, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. So... The exercise of a Christian towards godliness is the great exercise of trusting in the living God, which is Jesus Christ. Notice there that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men. 
That would mean all men in the world. And he goes on to say, especially those who believe. So that would be Christians. Well, notice how he splits up there everybody in the world and especially those who believe. Right? He's the Savior of all men, especially the Christians. Well, remember that false doctrine we talked about last week about this, uh, you know, Christ only came and died for the elect? Well, right there, how can you say that? Because Paul just said Christ is the Savior of all men, and especially those who believe. So Christ came to save everybody, but of course, only the ones that appreciate that the only ones that appreciate it are who the Christians. So there we go. Moving on. So God desires Christians to exercise themselves toward trusting in Jesus Christ. But why would this be necessary? Why would it be necessary to exercise ourselves in trusting in the living God? I mean, after all, there's a teaching in our world today. Remember, we talked about it last week. This once saved, always saved doctrine, no matter what you do or how you live. If this is true and this doctrine is true, then why would it be important that I exercise myself toward trusting in Jesus Christ? Well, Paul said it there in verse 8. I don't know if you caught it. The second part, I'm just going to read the part that matters. Verse 8, second part. He says, but godliness, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. Well, think about it. God promised eternal life through Jesus Christ, right? Since when do you know anybody that promises something without some kind of stipulation behind it? Did he say that God promised eternal life or that he guaranteed eternal life. He said that God promised eternal life. Well, again, whether man or God, who have you ever known that's that's made a promise, ever guaranteed it without a stipulation or condition? I can't think of one. I can't think of one. I'll love you no matter what. Yeah, I love you no matter what, but You won't receive that love until what? For God so loved the world that, uh, so that whoever so believes in him, right? God's love, there's a stipulation that we must have a belief in him in order to have that love, you would say, stick. I sure can't think of any promises without stipulations or, or conditions, but I can think of all kinds of promises where God gives, that he gives a stipulation or condition to the promise. Look at these. I want to just show you some of them. Jesus says, John 7, 38, He who believes in me, so there's, there's the deal, believes in me, as the scripture has said. Notice there, there's a belief. It has to be as the scripture said. Notice, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He didn't say, oh, just rivers of living water are going to come out of your heart because I said so. No, he gave a stipulation. If you believe in me according to what the scriptures say, then you'll be saved. Because we know that that rivers of living water are the Holy Spirit that God gives to those who really believe in him according to the scripture, as the scripture says. John 14, 13, he says this. Promise with a stipulation. And whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So you can ask me anything. But, he said there, the only way you're going to get your prayers answered is if God 
is glorified in the Son. Promise? Stipulation. Psalm 37, 4 through 5. This is a famous one. Practically everybody knows it. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. There's actually two here. That's the most famous one. Most people say, well, God will give you the desires of your heart. No, not quite. There's a stipulation there. The psalmist said, delight yourself also in the Lord. So if we delight ourselves in the Lord, then God will give you the desires of your heart. And he says, verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So, oh, well, God's just going to bless me, give me everything I want. Uh, Not quite. Did you read the whole verse? Did you read the whole section? Yes, if you delight in him, if you commit your way to the Lord and you trust also in him, yes, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. See, notice promise, stipulation to the promise. James 4, 7. I hear a lot. Oh, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. That's very common too. Oh, resist the devil. He'll flee. And then you ever notice it doesn't work? Well, yeah, it doesn't work because you didn't read the whole verse. James 4, 7 says, submit, therefore submit to God. Then he goes, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If we're not submitting to God, but we're telling the devil where to go and our lives aren't surrendered unto God, the devil's not going to listen to us because we're not submitting to God. If, if there's a promise, there's a stipulation to the promise. James 4, 8, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He didn't just say, oh, God draws near to everybody. Because he's just a good God. He just draws near to everybody. No. He says, draw near to God. It's We have to do something. We have to draw near to God. God, you know, start seeking God. Then if we start seeking God, he will draw near to us. Now, I could go on and on, really. I could make a whole sermon out of nothing of showing you God's promises that have stipulations and conditions to them. Maybe you never even realized that God's promises have a stipulation to them or a condition to them, but they do. And in fact, every single promise that God gives, there is a stipulation to that promise. So now, back to our what we're focusing on here. How, you say, does this apply to what we're talking about earlier? Well, I said, why would it matter if a saved person exercises themselves towards trusting in Christ or not? Why would it matter? Why would it matter? I mean, after all, if once saved, always saved is the truth. And once I give my heart to Christ, once I get saved, then I'm good to go. Why would that matter? But I'll add here, I said, why would it matter if a saved person exercises themselves toward Jesus Christ? Paul says uh, that they both labor and suffer reproach. So making sure that they're doing this. They're making sure they're working hard to make sure that they exercise themselves toward trusting in the living God. Well, here's why. If we don't strive to continue trusting in the living God, Jesus Christ, having faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, if we don't continue in that to the end, the Bible says that we won't go to heaven. We're going to end up in hell. Look at these verses, and I'm going to talk about their reverse on this subject of the Bible. Peter says, 1 Peter 1.5, he says, Christians are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be real, revealed to them in the last time. Now, if we're kept by the power of God through our faith, 
What happens if we stop having faith? Will God still keep us? No, the stipulation was there. We're kept by God's power through our faith. If we stop having faith, if we stop trusting in the Lord, the opposite is also true. God's power, and he will not keep us. He'll let us go because we're not continuing to trust and obey him. Revelation 2.10, God says here, Be faithful unto death. That's the, there's, the, there's the stipulation. And I will give you the crown of life. The promise was, God will give you the crown of life, but you have to be faithful unto death. What's the opposite of that? If you're not faithful to death, will you still get the crown of life? If you, it'd be the same thing as me saying this. You better work that 40-hour paycheck to get that paycheck so you can you know, pay your house bill and pay your mortgage and you know, pay off your bills. Well, what happens if you don't pay? What happens if you don't work the 40-hour work week? What happens if you only work 20 hours? Well, you're not going to have enough money to pay your mortgage. You're not going to have enough money to pay your car bill, right? Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death. If you're not faithful, you won't get the crown of life. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 12-13, and because lawlessness will abound, remember, talking about the end, the love of many will grow cold, but he says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Well, what if because lawlessness abounds and you're enduring for a, what if you only endure for a while? What if you don't endure to the end? Will you still be saved? Well, not according to Jesus there, because the opposite of all scripture is always true. If one thing's true, then the opposite's always true. If you do not endure to the end, then you shall not be saved. And if those aren't enough verses to show you that we must endure in our faith in Christ until we die to really be saved, look at what Paul says in Hebrews 10 in the same issue. Hebrews 10, 35-39. Paul says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Confidence is faith. You know, I'm totally trusting. I'm totally relying on Him. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just, listen to this, shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, whew, so you're walking by faith, you're living by faith, you're walking with God, being like Enoch, who walked with God in faith. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. That's another word for hell. See, notice those who drew back went to perdition. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul, you must endure in your faith in God. You must endure in your trust in God to be saved and to the end. Hence the title of our sermon today. So again, why would a Christian need to exercise themselves toward trusting in the living God, Jesus Christ? And why would that be necessary until we die? Because if we stop trusting in Him and we stop living for Him, then we won't receive the promise of eternal life. We won't go to heaven. We won't get what God promised. And we'll change course from our path to heaven and we'll change course to hell. So, my Christian brothers and sisters that are listening to me out there, this trusting and having confidence until Jesus Christ, until we die, is a serious business. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a serious business. Really? 
It's eternal life and eternal death business. Either we endure to the end in our faith in Christ, or we don't. We must endure in Christ in true faith until we die, or we'll miss out on being with God Almighty in Christ forever. And why? So think about this, though. Go back to that false doctrine for a second. Once saved, always saved, no matter what, right? Well, why would the devil want to make people think this false doctrine? Why would people want to, Why would the devil want to make people believe this thing? Think about it. This teaching leads people to think that they are bulletproof spiritually and that there's no danger of them ever giving up on their eternal life. And once a Christian starts believing this lie, then they think that the way they live and act in regards to sinfulness and faith, well, it doesn't matter. Hey, I'm saved. I got saved. No matter what I do, I'm, I'm headed for heaven. God saved me. I'm, I'm good to go. And you see, with that mindset, whether they have faith or not, and even if they live a life of sin willfully or, or sin at all, doesn't really matter because they believe that they're saved and that they can never give it up. And living in sin and speaking with filthy language and totally trusting in Jesus Christ and all that good stuff, it doesn't really have a, any bearing on whether you inherit eternal life or eternal death. Hey, I, I'm, I'm saved, and no matter what I do, I can't walk away from God. I can't... Give up on God, it doesn't matter. I am saved. This is the mindset now. To these people who believe this doctrine, to them the term in the Bible, backslidden, is just a term that means that they aren't close, they aren't close with God at the moment. But they're still on their way to heaven, and you know, they and they haven't turned away from God and, and headed for hell. They're just, you know, they're just backslidden for the moment. They ignore the warnings of Peter. In 2 Peter 2, 18 through 22, look at this. Peter says this. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have already escaped from those who live in error. So this is talking about a saved person. Somebody gets saved here, but then somebody comes to them with great swelling words and they lure them away into lewdness. And they, they mess with them. They, they start to mess with those that have already escaped. Notice he says the ones who have already escaped from those who live in error. The saved people, they've been redeemed. He says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Verse 20, for if, look at this, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... Now, some, again, somebody gets saved. They are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her, to her wallowing in the mire. I mean, it's pretty simple there. People can get saved and people can be allured back into the world and they can walk away from God. I've known people who have done it. It's real simple. But I'm unsaved, always saved, and I'm bulletproof. Oh, I'm, just, I'm just having a rough time right now, you know. Doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter, guys. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith. 
there is a real danger spiritually to not continuing in the faith and continuing to walk with God and Jesus Christ in total faith, the faith of a little child. There's a real danger to giving up on that. A real, real danger. That's why only those who endure to the end shall be saved. Only. How important, how we even see here, how important was it to Paul that Timothy get this idea of having faith in Jesus Christ unto death for him to tell his congregation in Ephesus? Listen to our very last short verse here. He tells them of all these things that I just told you, these things command and teach. A lot, you know, it's easy to brush over those real small short verses at the very end. But if you look at that, what did Paul just tell Timothy here? These things command. That's not a light word. He didn't say, oh, just, you know, make sure you reference these things to your congregation, Timothy. And just make sure your, you know, your congregation, kind of, yeah, just, 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 you know, casually tell them. No. These things command and teach. Wow. He tells Timothy, it's super important, guys. That you focus on having faith and trusting in the living God and exercising yourself toward this until you die. For only those who endure to the end shall be saved. I'd say Paul thought it was pretty important here. Even though that little verse many people could brush over, I'm not. So, all my Christians and brothers and sisters out there, I can't stress the fact enough to you that your salvation is not guaranteed unless you finish the race with God until you die. Having faith and confidence in Christ and living for Him until you die. Why is the living for Him part important? Well, the Bible says that true faith does have works attached with it. Works don't save you, but true faith produces godly works. And if we have true faith, then our lives will truly follow with godliness. That's why we can't be saved by works. Our salvation comes from God's free gift in our putting our trust in Him. But then our lives should surely follow after that. We shouldn't be saying we have faith and then going out to the bars and the clubs and the strip clubs and going out and getting drunk and, and sleeping around with women and committing fornication and doing all the evil things that God hates. Because then the Bible says that you're a hypocrite. And look at the way Jesus talked to hypocrites in the Gospel of John. So, it's important that we have faith and confidence in Christ Jesus until we die. And that we make sure that we're exercising ourselves towards some type of godly life that God tells us here in the Word. Please don't be deceived by the once saved, always saved teaching. I'll tell you, according to what we read today, the way you live your life in Jesus Christ matters eternally. Eternally. Just as we learn from Paul today. Whether or not you fight the good fight of faith, whether or not you really run the race unto completion in your faith in Christ really does matter. So, just as Paul told Timothy today, command and teach this way of life to those in your church in Ephesus back then, I will do the same thing with all those that are listening to me right now. Christians, I command you 
And I have taught you today that you should stand strong in your faith in Jesus Christ until you die and that you should not quit. If you care where you spend your eternity, if you care that you're with God forever, forever and ever and ever because you really love him, then you will endure in your faith. You will endure in your confidence and you will endure living for Christ even though it's not easy. Obviously, Paul says it's not going to be easy. Fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6.12. When we're fighting a good fight of faith, anything we're fighting for, that's not going to be easy. That's not a, a walk through the tulips in the field. Fighting the good fight is something that's hard. And since we naturally want to look in the flesh, faith is hard, ladies and gentlemen. It's hard for me every day. Because I can't see faith. I can walk by faith, but what I see is all the physical things. That's why it's so easy to get lured away into this world and lured away into the pollutions of this world if we don't fight the good fight of faith until we die. I ask you today, do you really want the prize of being with Jesus Christ and God forever? Because I know I do. I know I do. In fact, they're the only reason I even want to go to heaven. If God was here forever, I'd only want to be here forever. Because I don't care about heaven as just a place. Heaven's a place like earth's a place. Like, like the stars are a place. Like the moon is a place. I only want to be in the place where God and Jesus Christ are. And I hope that all you do as well. And I will pray that you will. And I will pray that you will hold on. Christians, hold on. Hold fast, please. Your eternity depends on it. Now, to those out there who may not be Christians, maybe you're listening to this message and you're like, ah, you know, I'm, yeah, I listen once in a while, but I'm not, you know, I'm not surrendered unto Christ. I, I want to say this to you. You've heard it over and over and over again, but it, this is true, that God is a loving God. And He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever, would put their faith in Him. Whosoever would believe in Him would not perish and have everlasting life. And today, though, He offers you so much peace, grace, and forgiveness. But just as we talked about all of God's promises having conditions and stipulations, what He must have in order to give you this peace, grace, and forgiveness is for you to surrender your life to Him and for you to repent of the trusting in yourself and whatever else that you trust in as well, too. He wants to give you that life, but you must turn to Him. You must put your trust in Him and in His finished work on the cross to save you from your sins, not on your good works, and because He wants to give you new life. So how will you, if you're not with Him, if you're not His, how will you respond to His offer or promise of new life in Christ today and everlasting life forever? He says in Zechariah 1.3, He says, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. There's the promise and the fulfillment and that stipulation of the promises. And I will return to you. If you return to the Lord, Bible says here, God's gave you a promise. I will return to you. So will you continue down the path without Christ? 
and finish your miserable days on this miserable earth and die and end up in everlasting fire forever. And that's only everlasting fire forever because God doesn't want you to go there, but because if you choose to reject him and you don't choose to trust him, you're choosing your fate, not him. Or will you turn your heart to Christ and put your life in his hands and decide to start putting your trust in him for everything? The choice is yours. But I know what path that God and I know what path that Christ wants you to take. If you're interested in God and Christ, but you're just not sure about all this faith stuff, and if Jesus Christ is actually real, and you just have you know, serious doubts, I can understand, I did too. But God gives you another promise. Jesus said, seek and you shall find. The promise was there, you shall find. But what did you have to do? What was the stipulation on the promise? You must seek. If you seek, Jesus said, you shall find. That means if you seek him, he will, he guarantees it in his word here, he will reveal himself to you. That's from his standpoint. From me, I'll tell you this. If you just need somebody to talk to, or you know, somebody to answer some of your questions, you can contact me. My phone number's on my website, gospelsavingchurch.com, uh, gospelsavingchurch.com, or you can, uh, or you can go on uh, gospelsavingchurch at gmail.com. I mean, you can contact me anyway. Facebook, my number's on there. You can call me and we can talk about it. But I tell you this, God is real. God is alive. And he's ready to start revealing himself to you if you are really interested in finding out about him. So I encourage you today, please seek Jesus. Please seek him and give him a chance to reveal himself to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, of the, of the truths of your word, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, that you give these truths and we don't have to be deceived by the lies of the world. Lord, because the devil's always going to be lying to us and he's always going to try to twist your word, Lord. We saw that when he came to Jesus in, in, the, in, in the wilderness for, for 40 days, that, Lord, he, he came to you and he said, you know, if, if this and that and the other thing, and he took your word... Lord Jesus, and he twisted it to you like you weren't going to know the truth. And then you answered him with the real truth. But is it not written? Is it not written? Is it not written? So, Lord, the devil's always going to try to twist your word. But I thank you, Lord God, that we have your word for truth, that we can learn your word for truth, that we can learn who the real Jesus Christ is in your word if we care. If we really care. So, Lord, thank you all these good things. I pray that you would draw those that are listening to this message that are not yours to you. And I pray that you would draw all of us that are yours closer to you. And we'd realize, Lord God, that this world is a minefield and that, Lord, we have to stay close to you and we have to stay seeking you and we have to stay trusting in you in order to stand with you until we die, in order to be with you forever. You give lots of promises, Lord. But your promises always have stipulations and conditions, Lord. I pray that we would seek you and that we would find you too. I thank you, Lord, and we praise you and we love you and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because... Your life will soon be passed, and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. 
If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.